Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to episode 81 of Geek Town Radio. I'm here with Mike. Hi. Hi. It's good to be back. <laughs> you have been away on your travels across far and distant lands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Otherwise, otherwise known as what? America and where were you on holiday? Italy. Italy. Yes, of course. So, you know. While I can still go to Italy. <laughs> if we're banned from Europe. Yes. <laughs> You've got to keep those mafia connections going as well, of course. I've got to collect my payments. <laughs> so how are you doing? Apart from being on holiday and, and away on work, what have you been up to? Um, so in the in the days that I've had where I've not either been on a plane or in a hotel room, um, I've been... Actually, one of the things I have done, which is something you've been telling me to do for ages, is watch Lucifer. Yay! Awesome. The whole way through. Yeah. So I was away for quite a while, so I got to see the entire series uninterrupted by children, <laughs> which is a real benefit yeah. of like, doing lots of travelling. Um, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, it's funny. He's a bit camp, which is quite funny as well. Like, yeah. in, in a, yeah. You know, it's, fu- it's funny. It um, is. But I do wonder if American experiences of it are different to our experiences because their perception of British accents is different to our perception of British yeah. accents. So. Yeah. They're really, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are some Americans out there who are good at it, but I work with a lot of them and they they have a real difficulty telling one regional accent from another. Yeah, yeah. So um, we did something that had a guy with a Yorkshire accent and they were complaining that he sounded like lock, stock and two smoking barrels. It's like, that's, <laughs> you've just insulted all of Yorkshire and all of London in one thing. So, yeah. So I, and, and you hear his accent and I'm wondering whether that our experience of it is the same as in America, but I, I yeah, really enjoyed it. Interesting point, actually. I don't know. I have to ask an American. Does he sound intrinsically evil? Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sound that evil to me. No, he does. You're quite right. He does sound a little bit camp, but yeah. I think that works perfectly well. He's, yeah. I mean, he's the fine. do Americans think we all sound that way? Maybe, <laughs> maybe we do. Maybe, maybe we, we do. do. Uh, but I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm in love with Maze, obviously. Yes. Um, Maze is fantastic. Exactly. But yeah, it's great. And, um, <clears throat> Really, and by the time we got to the end of the series, I was quite disappointed that there wasn't more. Yeah, it just got yeah. better and better and better. Yeah, it did. It's one of those shows that really picks up as it goes through. The um, the, the relationship between him and um, uh, D.B. Woodside's character, the brother, yeah. I think is, is fantastic as well. And that's going to get explored quite a lot more in the second season because their mother turns up. Yeah, so, that's, um, the, that's the cliffhanger at the end yeah, of, the, yeah. of the final episode. So, um, And who on earth could their mother be? I mean, I've had a um, bit of a Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's Tracy, what's her last name, Tracy, from... Uh, yeah. 
uh, health, the, the Cylon health, 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 health figure, is health, it? No. The, something like that. Something like that. Um, health, no. Health. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, the, the, the girl that was the attractive blonde that was a Cylon in um, yeah. Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Or something. Could very well have been know. something yeah, like seven or eleven or something. Yeah. But yes, so um so she's she's playing their mother in it. And and it's Which not can in, only make it better. Yeah, I'm sure. But it I, I really enjoyed it. And it wasn't simple. So no. the, the the whole subplot it it surprised you. I thought after the first couple of episodes, I thought this is gonna be pretty basic, the same every yeah, yeah. every episode. But it got more complicated and there were twists and things and it yeah. was it was good. It was well treated. I liked it. I mean it's nothing like the comic book. No, but then I mean, I, I expect that with a lot of these sort of things. You know, it's very difficult to to take some shows and turn them directly into into TV shows. You know, you end up look at Preacher. I mean, yeah. you know, very very much the same as well. So, yeah. so but so far, enjoy my Amazon subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely worthwhile, especially the four K thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you have a TV that you now can that watch have from a full K TV. TV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although, like I said, I think it makes me feel a bit sick when things move around and the camera pans and it's a big screen. Yeah, and I'll, I feel. Uh, I'll have to show you the the TV downstairs yeah. later and and just how to set it up so it doesn't work like that. You yeah, know? it's. Because I, I took a bit of tinkering with mine. So the biggest problem I found with mine was on the base settings, it makes everything look like EastEnders. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, we, we thought that. I was watching, what was I watching? Uh, Pacific Rim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just made it look, I mean, I know that it's not the most accomplished film ever ever made, but it made it look really basic, like it was shot with a handheld camera. Yeah, like, it does. And you're in the room with it or something. Yeah. It's just not, you want yeah. you want that separation between you and what you're watching. Yeah. It makes it look very weird sometimes, um, and you sort of got to play around with the settings to not do that. Ironclad as well. Have you seen that? Yeah, sure, I've seen Ironclad. A, I don't know if it's a good movie or not because my television ruined it. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect it's not a great movie. It's all right, actually. It's not. It's not brilliant, but it's all right. I've seen worse. Yeah, but it's, there seemed to be no depth of field. <laughs> Everything was in blindingly sharp contrast. But it felt <laughs> like it. it was just like this is weird. I yeah, think. yeah, maybe I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen it in a very you know long what? time. We need so. black and white televisions. <laughs> well, you can't mistake reality for what's happening in front of you. It's safer. You know, if the train starts to come towards you, it's not going to leave the screen. You're okay. <laughs> Apparently, I'm banned from getting a 3D TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For my yeah, they're, they're hiding behind the sofa screaming. <laughs> it's a going at me. <laughs> Uh, what else? Anyway, <coughs> yes, Narcos, what else? new series of Narcos on oh, Netflix. Yes. I've been I, watching that. How far through are you? Uh, I'm only on. Well, I've not had a lot of time. Yeah, so, uh, I'm only on two. I'm only on episode two. Okay, um, but so far so good. Yes. as far as I'm concerned, it's good. It's good. I have got to the end of that, but I I binged watch about five episodes in one night. Yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult for me to do that yeah. if, I'm, if I'm at home. Yeah, and I I made the mistake. I didn't download anything, so I because I, I, I was in the US. The uh, region of, like, yeah. uh, Netflix doesn't work, or you know, it wasn't really. There was stuff I could watch, stuff I couldn't watch, and it, yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah. it wasn't really playing playing with me. So, um, oh yeah, well, um, while I was in, you, know, you you've probably already covered this, but I watched the Star Trek movie. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, what do you think? Um, so in ref- on reflection, I think it's better than my immediate impression was when I was watching it. Oh right, which okay. Is weird. Um, it's certainly not the best Trek film ever made, which I think we've already established is is either yeah. the Wrath of Khan, yeah, or well, the Undiscovered Country, in my view. Yeah, yeah, fair um, enough. You know, you can argue about it yes. if you want. 
it's just got lots of Klingons and, and yeah, discovered Klingons country. And that's shooting, why we, and there's that yeah. bit where the Enterprise is like under attack, and then Sulu arrives, and it's like it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that whole yeah. bit is like my favourite sequence in any Trek film ever. Yeah. Um, so it's really it's it's like an episode. It's yeah. like an episode from a series, and it's really quite formula. Um, it's got yeah. some good effects. They managed to crash two starships, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, although there is a bit of a an obsession with destroying starships called the Enterprise. It's called merchandising. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they all bought the old one. Oh, we're going to have to crash it and make a new one. Yeah. Sell them that model. Um, I thought there were some logic gaps in it. But, you know, that's what movies are like. I was going to say, don't bring logic into a Star Trek movie. <laughs> I thought lots of explosions and the Beastie Boys is 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 amazing. Yes, yes, that's they the revived the Beastie Boys. The track. whole thing was just a massive setup for playing the Beastie Boys and blowing loads of stuff up, which yep. I can live with. The, the bit with the motorbike upset me. I, I That didn't bother me as much as I thought it as would soon do. As soon as you saw the motorbike, bearing in mind I haven't, you know, I've not seen mm. any spoilers. Anything. You saw the motorbike and you go... Why would there be a motorbike there if it wasn't for the fact that Kirk is going to end up riding it at some point? Well, of course, yeah. So um, he rode the motorbike around, but there's a shot where um, you get sort of a wide shot of a mountain range mm. and he's kind of riding along a ridge. Yeah. And it's really badly done. So the mountain range is clearly not real, but he's real. But where the wheel and the dust is coming up, it's just really horribly blurred. So he's clearly not there. <laughs> and also, you wouldn't be able to ride a bike, even a scrambler, across that terrain that you see in front of him. Right. Like, yeah. What the hell? So, yeah, and the whole jumping off ledges on it, and it's just, it was terrible. Mm. But then that bit where they 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 um, enter the big sort of sphere thing, whatever it is, yes. with the base. yeah. And then they crash uh, up through the water, and yeah. then there's the little fighter things. Oh yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I, oh, yeah, I, I really like that. that, that bit. That was like, great. oh, that was that was great. Yeah. So, uh, and Idris Elba really not not well used. And uh, no, and not not really being Idris Elba throughout the entire no. thing. Yeah. No, uh, until the very end. Yeah, and he's a great actor. He's yeah. like one of the greatest actors in this country. I would yeah. say he's yeah. he's like when he's good, he's good. And he's, he can be sinister. He can do all of that. And it didn't really come out in that film. No, no, I know what you mean. Um, so it, it could have been better. Could have been worse. Yeah. But it could have been better. So I, I don't know. I enjoyed I, it. I have to say, I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was it was good. It was very much like an episode. Now, I kind of like that about it. I much preferred it to the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I think the, the I first one... the first one, actually. In the end, I mean, I I really like the first one. I think they did a great job in kind of setting up the universe. I like the explosions, and, and I like the ships. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when they like, and, and it's the same. It was the same for all the series. I like all of that space stuff. But then as soon as they're on a planet, on scramblers or doing stuff, I'm like, I start to lose interest. Mm. I don't yeah. know why that is. I mean, I. I I sort of forgive them the motorbike thing because it was Justin Lin doing it, who's the Fast and Furious guy. So we're quite lucky there wasn't an excuse to put more kind of bikes and cars in there. Right, yeah. So you know, and the fact like that they super only put one in. with neon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, why would he have one of these? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and and I think he did a perfectly good job with it. I you know, and the bike sequence, I don't think was it. It was a bit kind of on the nose, but I don't think it was out of place. You know, I, I think it was it's massively out of place, but that's okay, Dave. Yeah, I, 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 no, I mean, I, I think it was <laughs> it was a bit crowbarred in, but I I think they made it work. It's fine. Yeah, 
you know. So it wasn't like some sort of weird space bike. It was a genuine bike that was there. And, you know, there is there is historical precedent for them having done things like that on things like Voyager, where they they kind of had them doing up an old um, Paris was doing up an old car. So there is there is a precedent on the show for that. Deep Space Nine, I think one of them was restoring a motorbike. Can't yeah, quite possibly. So, so I mean, I I don't have a huge problem with it in sort of Star Trek lore. I think it's fine. Um, it was okay. And then at the end, when they're all slapping each other on the back and cheering and raising glasses after I don't know what hundreds of people have been killed <laughs> and he's lost his starship, yeah, a bit heartless. But, <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's almost like you know they should have just frozen it at the end of the ground. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, and again, that's that whole suspension of disbelief thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. if 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 I was supposed, if I was you know going to complain that wasn't very realistic, then I should complain it's not realistic. They're not all in trauma. <laughs> yeah. You know, after all the things they've been through, they should just be yeah. in rehab or something. I don't so, know. But. I don't know. I mean, I, I I thought it could have been a lot worse than it was. I think they did a perfectly decent job with it. I thought it was perfectly watchable for you know two and a half hours or however, however long yeah. it was. So you know, so hey, was right. that all Suicide Squad? And can you believe I was with a bunch of people who were film people actual yeah. film you know one was a director they they and they chose to go and see star trek not I, suicide squad I, out of the two of them that was probably the better choice i know but i, just, I don't know i i just i haven't seen suicide squad it's I haven't had the opportunity uh, as we've spoken and uh, numerous times before it's an odd film because it feels like it's two films kind of wedged together one half being made by the trailer company and one half being made by like the actual Batman, superman basically uh, yeah, well that's, even that's even more so than that i mean it's it's odd i describe it as being a bit like having um you know in comic books where they shove extra issues in on the trade paperbacks at the start yeah. to like beef them out a bit yeah. before the main story it's basically that right. and there's there's a bunch of kind of vignettes done by the trailer company which introduce the characters which are great and fun and fine on their own but the, it's it's like a really clunky gear change into the other movie right. and there are issues with the film about the you know the the way the villain is and it's you know that that part of the movie could have been a lot better than it was my my six-year-old daughter has decided that after seeing lots of trailers obviously she's not seen the film we're not gonna let her see the film but um she's decided that black widow is no longer her favorite superhero oh she's moved on from black widow harlequin harlequin Harlequin. this is like no that's that's well we're like harlequin's really a villain and she's like that's fine (laughs) (laughs) okay Slightly worrying, but yeah, okay. Yeah. So, World Book Day. Who does she want to go as? Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. Yeah. So, okay. How'd that uh, go down? Not that well. So, um, and then, I suppose, computer games. Old Republic still. So I finished the, the whole um, cycle of the um, the first bit of the extension is finished. Yeah. Um and it finishes with um, you basically defeat the Emperor Arkan. And, okay, uh, yeah. And it's okay. There's a bit of a twist at the end, but my main beef with it is really the choices that you've made with the exception of one little bit don't really seem to make any difference all the way through. Right. But they really made a big deal when this came out that your choices would make a difference. Uh, that's always a mistake they if really you don't. don't. Yeah. It's disappointing. I mean, there's there's a whole like NPC who will just like leave you because of your actions. But other than that, 
Right, it makes okay. a difference. And the choices that you make as well, there's a bit where do you let the shuttle go or do you try and shoot it down? Whichever one you choose, the shuttle will escape in exactly the same way. So it's <laughs> right, like, okay. you're not really making any choices. It's just you're on rails. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. They've just released a, a bonus chapter with HK55, oh, which okay. is very funny. Yeah. It's worth doing. It's very funny, but... um. Yeah, I'm 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 very close to cancelling the subscription. Now I've been I've been shouting the praises of this for for ages, mm. but I'm close to cancelling that subscription. It's tough. Ooh. It's really tough. The only good thing is it's in small bite-sized chunks. Yeah. That I can easily do with my limited time. Yeah. And yeah. this is where I've been having problems with other games. So I've been playing Fallout 4. Yes. I've been playing The Witcher. Mm. Uh, no Man's Sky, right? Oh yeah. And I just can't I can't they're too big. They're almost yeah. intimidating. So I know that I've got like an hour, maybe. Yeah. And I'll be, oh, right. Shall I? No, because an hour is not enough. I can't. I'm not going to make much progress in an hour. And then I don't, I don't do uh, it. I don't know. I don't know. You can You can do. I think that's more your perception of it. I mean, No Man's Sky, to be fair, I haven't been back to. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it, right? So it's essentially a crafting game. Yeah. And crafting, I should have I should have used my brain. A crafting game, it, it wasn't packaged as a crafting game. They didn't sell it as a crafting no. game. It's a crafting game. No. And I don't do crafting. And anything that See, I play, I don't do crafting. I do do crafting games, but it's a bad crafting game. Yeah. But then there's there's that whole element of Fallout that's crafting too. There is, yeah. And, and I, I mean, but that I, that, there's a lot of other things to do on there Fallout. Is. And there the is. problem with... And no I'm enjoying Sky. Fallout, to be yeah. fair. I'm enjoying those very small glimpses, but... Um, I'm just finding like The Witcher. I was loving it, and then all of a sudden, I'm just finding it really difficult to remember how to play it. So <laughs> like, the combat system is quite complicated, isn't it? Um, you're not just button mashing. You, you have to remember all the depends. defense bits, and uh, you attack and you defend. You got the different swords. And you got the different spells. Depends if you're playing it on kind of what level you're playing it on. And this is not a criticism of the game because I, th- I know that if I was playing for like a number of hours every night, I'd have it all and I'd be able to do it instinctively, and it'd yeah. be great. But because I don't, because I get to play like for an hour or two hours every couple of days or whatever, I just can't quite get into it in a way. Yeah, that's yeah. So I'm constantly trying to remember how to do stuff and then get yeah. my backside kicked. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, is it is it me? Is it have I have I got to the point now where I can't do it? I need simple <laughs> games. I need God mode. Right. I need I like a nice big story that I can get to chew yeah. through. I really enjoy. And I like and I've got to the point where I like it simple. I can't do it. I see, can't do it, Dave. See, we um I mean I am playing Deus Ex at the moment. The latest Deus Ex. Game. And I really like the look of that, but I'm thinking is it just going to be me? But, but no, if you play that through in, in easy mode and spec the character right, you can pretty much avoid combat throughout the entire thing. <laughs> it's great. So, because uh, you can, if you can, you can spec all, all the, um, all your mods and stuff. Uh, so, or Adam's mods, you can kind of spec so he gets advantages in conversations so he can talk his way out of things. You can spec the character so what, like a we- of- he gets all weaselly, basically. There's a thing that um, allows you to kind of you know, check heart rate and pulse rate and stuff when you're, when you're talking to people. So if you're running that, it's fairly easy to be able to pick the right answers that will get them to agree with you through right. the conversations so um i've got that mod running and then you can you can have an inv- invisibility mod which only works for a short time but that's that can be a huge advantage yeah. and a silent running mod so you could basically turn the silent running on and the invisibility on and then just go and kind of 
dodge from place to place and crawl through tubes and you know I mean it's like you, I do with my Sith sorcerer in, in, in <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know you just, just walk past people and play it that way uh, I, I mean I play quite a lot of it yeah. like that I have had occasions where you know things have gone wrong and I've kind of materialised somewhere where I didn't want to but generally you can get through the entire game without really killing anybody I feel like yeah. I'm missing out though there's all these really great and I know and it feels great there are great games but it's just too difficult for me in my head <laughs> and it's like a, a gaming existential am I a gamer still I can't do games I've had become, I've had become my dad who can't that's, do stuff that's quite worrying it is uh, and like Fallout Maybe. it's such a good game but I just I worry I can't, I, I'm going to run out of ammunition I've got to look for ammunition oh, I can't be bothered to look for ammunition all of that it's just I just can't it's just too hard maybe, maybe you'll have to go into mobile gaming <laughs> do you know now this is the funny thing you say that but um, Fallout Shelter yes yeah now I've probably and probably because I was travelling and it was just there yeah but I've played and enjoyed that more than any other game over the last month <laughs> because it's quite addictive I'm, I'm done with it now yeah, there, yeah. but it, it it's a it's a simple game yeah and, then I, and, I, and I did think Oh, is that what is that the level that I've yeah, come is to? Yeah, that what, what I've got to now? Is that <laughs> what I don't I've know. Got, I mean, I'm trying to think, to think back to the last game that I did everything on and really enjoyed, and it was probably Mass Effect Three. That was at the right level for me <laughs> in terms of simpleness and the stuff that I could do and story. But Mass Effect Three is fairly complicated as a game. It's a complicated goes. story, but it's not a complicated game to play. Maybe it's maybe. a fairly simple like dynamic in terms of the the combat and the hiding behind stuff and the shooting things. It wasn't wasn't really difficult, but now games are getting more difficult and more involving. And I think they get their they've gone to the point where you need to be totally committed to the game in a way that I don't think I can do. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're just kind of what are you playing Witcher on easy settings? Yes. <laughs> you see you should be able to beat things on easy I know, settings I keep wandering off that's the problem I keep wandering into areas where stuff's like well there's your problem um, but yeah because which is easy to beat things on on easy settings you but I don't remember what want... I'm doing that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> because I don't play often enough I'm getting lost <laughs> maybe you just get lost in Mass Effect because it wasn't a big open thing and that and that's my worry because I was so looking forward to the new Mass Effect game and that's going to be a game that is crammed full of exploring loads of open areas which yeah, is great yeah. but I bet you there's a whole load of crafting type stuff in there because of the kind of game it is maybe I don't know. It just breaks me. I can't do it. <laughs> I haven't got the patience. I don't play a game long enough to want to spend a whole hour just collecting resources and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. They, they have always been kind of fairly, I don't know, resource. Have they always been resource-based? I don't know. Not so much with the Bioware stuff, maybe. Not really. I mean, so there's always been not. an element, right? But not Yeah. Not, so not certainly with the um, with things like Oblivion and, and Fallout, yes, but not so much with the Bioware stuff. No. So you might be all right. By the way, you're my only hope, even though you've massively <laughs> let me down with the story of uh, <laughs> the Fallen Empire. But no, that's fine. It was good. It was, but the, the going back to Star Wars, it was it was enjoyable, and for me, it was good because it was packaged in short bursts, so you could do it in an hour. Most of the most of the chapters of it, yeah, because yeah. it's done in chapters. You can do, yeah. So you and walk you away from, set... and then I could go back and do it again with one of my different tunes, and go back and do it again with one of yeah, my yeah. Other different tunes, and play it different ways, and just get the different, you know, mm. the different vocal responses which is the only difference really yeah yeah um 
you know, I've still got my sort of annoyingly evil Sith sorcerer and my yeah, yeah. conflicted Sith warrior and my pathetically good Jedi and, <laughs> <laughs> and my noble trooper. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just need a game that I can do in short bursts and feel like I've achieved something. Maybe, maybe we'll have to try and find you something. I'm find trying me to a game, think. Dave. Yeah. So Deus Ex, I am really enjoying, and it is fairly easy to play through. So plus yeah. the Star Trek game was good like that. You could just you did like episodes literally. Yeah, yeah. You know, it might take you an hour or two, but you could just do bits. Yeah, you could do another good Star Trek game. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean that one. I know there's been some expansions since I last played it, but essentially you run out of content quite quickly on that. Yeah, and yeah. then it was just like just just been released on Xbox and PS4. That has really. Yep. Have they updated the end, the graphics engine and made it all look nicer? Or? I don't know. I haven't seen it running. You can go and download it for free. You can't transfer the stuff yeah. over from... Uh, this is Star Trek Online. You can't transfer stuff over from the PC version. But, oh, that's a shame. But it is, it is available. I think... Just at a late in the game. Late it in is, the game's age is, to but, be doing that. But, you know, but yeah, they, they've now released it on console, so... That was quite advanced on my PC version i'm sure things have moved on but yeah well so was i so i don't know i'll have to have a look i might download it on the yeah. xbox and see what see yes what like. see what it's like I, I keep on meaning to do it i just haven't got around to it around to it yet. so yes anything else nothing to speak of yeah not really no. i mean i've i've been watching well as i say deus ex has been the my main gaming thing i haven't really been back to any more gaming stuff recently um narcos as well which i've come to the end of and is brilliant and they've announced a fourth and uh, third and fourth season of it as well I think we said this at the end of the first season. I can't see how they can get four seasons out of it. Um, it's it, they're going to follow the Cali cartel. Ah, uh, okay. So okay. as as was sort of is sort of set up, right? Because they become bigger characters throughout the okay. second season. Don't spoil it. I'm not spoiling spoilers, it. spoilers, Dave. <laughs> That's not really spoilers. <laughs> um, so yeah, but they they they'll follow the Cali cartel, which okay. are one well, of the good. other cartels. Good, because so, I enjoy it. So all that certainly seems to be where it's going. So there's that. Uh, BattleBots I've been watching, which is uh, <laughs> really? robot, the, the American-US take on Robot Wars. Yeah. Honestly, uh, just if you've not seen it and you like Robot Wars... Um, the, Does it make our Robot Wars look rubbish? Yes. Is it like they've got these full-size battle mechs? It's, it's not quite that level, but, right. but the, the battle... Bots are. Is it like Pacific Rim? Uh, it's just <laughs> little remote control things. <laughs> it's it's not quite that bad, but the um, I think you know we've said before the the bots are far more interesting. They're massively more powerful. I haven't seen it. What's um, it on? It's on Spike. Okay. It's on Spike in the in the Robot Wars slot on Sunday evening. So okay. it's eight PM Sunday evenings. Okay. Um, but if you if you like Robot Wars and you like that sort of stuff, you you might find yourself fast forwarding through a lot of the Americanized bits. But um, I love Americans, Dad. <laughs> Just because you spend a lot of time working there, <laughs> my colleagues. Um, but yeah, you might find yourself uh, sort of. I mean, so, you know, some of it's great, but it's it's quite good because they have. Um, like a boxing match, they have ringside commentators, so um, it's not put on afterwards, which is what they do with Jonathan Pierce on Robot Wars. Um, so that kind of adds to the enthusiasm like while they're doing Wars it. Robot Wars crossed with WWE. Almost, yeah. In the <laughs> that, way, that sounds awesome. In the way that, that that it's sort of presented, and they do kind of stats breakdowns of 
of the robots beforehand and that sort of stuff. My oldest daughter is into WWE. <laughs> really? She's been watching it on YouTube and I was like, you know, it's on the television, right? It's on Sky and she's like, she loves it. I don't know how anyone knows, but the, the, the women wrestlers, I was, she I, watch, I, she's just, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> she, I was like so surprised. She's so, the girliest girl you've ever met. Yeah, no, she is. That's bizarre. <laughs> anyway. Um, Sorry. Segway yeah, there. so so yes, yeah, so, so I've been I've been watching BattleBots, which I've been really enjoying. Um, the Night Off as well, which is is on. So it's all available on Air TV and on um, Sky on Demand. Yeah, and it's going out. I've weekly seen on. it on Sky on Demand. Yeah. I haven't watched it though. Uh, basically, about a young guy who goes off one night to a party, can't get his his ride doesn't turn up, so he borrows his dad's cab yeah he's a young muslim lad living in new york borrows his dad's cab can't get work out how to get the light to work and so people start getting into his cab and then and he kind of manages to get them kicked out and then a girl gets into his cab and he gets talking to her so they kind of go off somewhere and the girl suffers and unfortunate incident whilst he's there and it's really about the sort of series is about how he gets himself out of that situation Right. And what happens next. And it's brilliant. It's it's a HBO show. Uh it's it's I described it as a very HBO show in that, you know, it's it's quite slow moving but intense to watch and right. really, really well put together. So yeah, uh, that's that's one I would definitely recommend. It's been really good. Not like the wrong man's. No, not like the wrong man's. Um so there's that. I've been watching last week I went down to London to an event for there's a there's a thing coming on sci-fi called Halcyon which is kind of this murder mystery thing set in virtual reality they they're only it's it's sort of an online show actually although they are putting the first episode out on the sci-fi channel but um it's it's essentially all set in VR, they are actually doing 10 linear episodes and five VR episodes. So if you've got Samsung or I think it's the, it's the Hive headset, one of the big VR headsets, you can actually go and play through the VR episodes as well. They can't, they, the technology won't allow it to do it on uh, cardboard because I on Google right. cardboard because I did ask. But um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting kind of experience. So we got to see a couple of the episodes of that. And also they then did a press conference with the stars of it. With, I saw the picture. With, yeah. I saw the picture of you wearing the VR headset. Yeah. And there is a picture up on my Instagram feed. I think of that. Um, the hair looks blonde in that picture. Yes, it does. It's not blonde. No, I saw it. I was like, <laughs> Blonde. I think I might have commented. Is your hair blonde? Have you gone blonde, Dave? No, I haven't have gone blonde now, Dave. <laughs> um, so yes, we we were sat in a in a room in um, London, and there were people from like Japan and Prague and in the US, and we were in this virtual conference suite with the stars of of the show doing Q and A sessions. Uh, I mean, we were all, nobody could see anybody yeah. other than the avatars, which were fairly kind of basic sort yeah. of avatars. But Was it a hot chick avatar? No, it wasn't. You couldn't sadly. choose it yourself this no, time. No, you then. couldn't choose oh, it yourself. Okay, so. um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we were in there and you did find yourself actually stood kind of looking at the avatar of the person that was talking. Um, yeah. It was a really odd experience, but it, it seemed to work really well. Oh, that's really And if you could do decent avatars of people 
and do it live in that sort of environment. It, it could be great. There is that theory, really, really isn't there, that we're actually in a virtual reality. Yes. <laughs> the theory being that if technology advances to the point where we can create virtual reality worlds where the people, whether the things in those virtual reality worlds don't realise that they're in a virtual reality world. Yes. Then, we could then be technology in get, they could have virtual reality worlds within the virtual reality world <laughs> and so on. And you get to a point where you've got like an infinite almost amount of virtual reality worlds. I swear we're the not chances smoking. are we are in a virtual reality world. <laughs> it's more likely that we're in a virtual reality world than a real world. <laughs> hmm? Hmm? Just think about that, Dave. We're not high. <laughs> <laughs> I really use some cheese on toast around now. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we've. I, I was at that on Tuesday. Then uh, Wednesday I was up in Liverpool to see uh, Bare Naked Ladies play, who were brilliant, as they always are. Because Everybody on social media has been posting pictures of Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, yes. This is the band, not. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> I know the sites you like to frequent. Um, yeah, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, for, for those of you who don't know the name of the band, they are probably best known. They had a single called One Week, They are, but they're also probably best known as the people that do the theme to Big Bang Theory these yeah. days as if well. If you're under the age of 40, you probably will never have heard of them. Quite possibly, <laughs> other than the people that do the, the theme to Big Bang Theory. Um, but they've been around for 20-odd years, so, you know. They're, but they're fantastic live. They're one of the best live bands you'll ever see. They're really, they're, they're great fun to watch. So uh, I, was, I always try to catch them whenever they come. So I went to see the, those guys. Uh, so that was really good. Um, Girl World Girls TV show, um, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks on, on the show. So it's not, it's not exactly the sort of standard genre sort of thing. It's basically about a mother and a daughter who live in a small town, have very rich parents, but she got pregnant at 16 and sort of moved away from her parents. It's this lovely, sweet comedy that's on uh, Netflix. Sounds well up my street. Yeah, not, probably not your sort of show, but um, it's very funny. Don't J-Lo in it. No. Okay. So, otherwise, I know putting J-Lo in something is the easiest way to get you to watch it, but <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's got, it's, it's a few years old now. It's got a um, very lo- young uh, Jared Padalecki from um, Supernatural <laughs> in it. Um, it's, uh, it's great, funny. Uh, I've, I've finished today because we're a day late doing the show this week. I actually finished the final episode today. So <laughs> so I've now got to wait until November when uh, Netflix bring out the, they're doing like four episodes, yeah. which are based around seasons. Through, you're waiting for the zombie apocalypse to start, <laughs> looking for the sign. Sure there was Someone a zombie apocalypse. Someone in the background coughing or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it's, it's, um, it's funny and entertaining, and I, I really like the writing in it. I just think it's... it's uh, it is quite a sweet sort of show, but it's it's wonderfully humoured. So I'm. I worry about you. I've, I've been through seven seasons of that in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's just quite bad. Um, <laughs> what else have I done this week? Uh, interview with a guy called Greg Edmondson, who's not going to be the interview that goes up this week. Uh, but Greg Edmondson is the guy that wrote the music for Firefly and all the music for the Uncharted games. Oh, that's really good then. 
<laughs> yeah, Firefly had some great music. Yeah, um, great. he's he's the composer for Firefly and the composer for all the Uncharted music. He wrote all that, and that's got some very memorable music in it as well. So I'm I'm, I'm not sure when I'm going to put that on because it's about an hour long that interview at the moment. So I need to trim it down a bit. <laughs> uh, but he was the one of the nicest, loveliest guys I've ever spoken to. So and he's such a Firefly fan as well. Yeah, but you know himself. people like me. So well, there is that uh, context is needed. <laughs> That. he's yeah. one of the nicest guys i know <laughs> yes <laughs> you drowning puppies um so yes that only happened once <laughs> so yeah so i spoke to him this week um, this week earlier this week and he's he's great so that interview will be coming up in the next couple of weeks and the only other bit of news which rather than put it in the menus we should probably end on this bake off yeah it's 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 possibly the end of television <laughs> yes. or Western it's, civilization. It's, it's as, a as sign we, of the apocalypse. It, well, it's a sign of the end of the BBC, isn't it, obviously? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, well, no, I mean, the cultural the, life well, of Great Britain is essentially over. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. So Bake Off, well, that's the interesting thing. Bake Off is moving to Channel 4. Yeah. However, Mel and Sue aren't. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, there's no deal in place from Paul and Mary. Anton Deck. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what, what essentially Channel 4 have bought is a large tent and a man of flower. <laughs> maybe they'll have a fate. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's it. Yeah, they've they basically bought a tent, flower and eggs. I, I, you know, I mean... For I, a lot of money. For, for an awful like 25 lot of 25 million or something? What was it? Well, yeah, I mean, 20, 25 million and that was... Uh, you uh, they the bbc offered double and they still weren't happy with it so i would be really surprised if there wasn't some sort of clause in that that they would only have it for that much if they had the full package because you, you, wouldn't, would sign, so. you wouldn't sign a contract the problem, the problem is the contracts for the show were for the presenters yeah. were separate to the show yeah so i but it seems like a very bad deal to me really does yeah, so Mel and Sue are no, are no longer with it. There is apparently sounding like Mary's not going to go. So you may see a new baking show on the BBC. They're like Top Gear. <laughs> yeah. I love what happened to Top Gear. I mean, yeah, wow. I mean, you, you can't you can't do it. Well, you could do it. I think Mel and Sue are probably the things that you couldn't do without. You could probably change, I mean, Mary Berry, to be fair. but Yeah, you, you could probably you could change Paul, maybe. You could change but... Paul. You could probably change Mary. But... <sighs> Difficult. Difficult. Who's going to do that? Who's going to supply the innuendo? Exactly. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. That's going to be, be so Ryland, it's going to be a very different Ryland show. Ryland Clark is it? Ryland. And, oh God! Uh, it'll be him and I don't know. Yes. <laughs> there was He's also yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? So yes, we'll keep an eye on that. But there's there's stories dropping all the time about Bake Off. It is the so, biggest news. I actually came through on my phone on the BBC app. Yeah, I have I have it to notify me of headline, like you know, breaking news. And yeah. it came through as one of those things. It's like really, yeah, uh, really it's is crazy. That, is it that apparently, big? Apparently, then, it's that big a news. Yeah, crazy. Um, oh, and the the last thing I wanted to mention was um, Creative Arts Emmys, which were done last weekend and i just want to say congratulations to matt quayle who we've interviewed a couple of times on the show and sean callahy we've interviewed before sean callahy does the music for jessica jones and matt quayle does the music for mr robot and american horror and they both won emmys so american horror is good i yeah. haven't got on to mr robot yet mr robot's just, good yeah, but yeah. jessica jones is 
Amazing. Yeah, Jessica Jones amazing. is amazing. But, um, but yeah, Sean and uh, Mac both won Emmys at the Creative Emmy Awards. It's the, the, they're the sort of all the technical and kind of lesser awards um, rather than the, the people that make it happen. Yeah, the, the people, ones that should yeah, really yes, be or probably at the, top the better of the awards. Yeah, yes, yeah. you know, they're, they're the they're the the talent, um, the talent awards as opposed yeah. to the the front of camera, the behind camera awards yeah. as opposed to the front of camera awards. The ones so, that make everyone else look good. Exactly. Um, so yes, they both won Emmys. So I just want to say congratulations to those guys. Um, we've been chatting for like half an hour now Sorry. at least. So, <laughs> so let's go on and do some uh, film with TV news. Film and TV news this week. We start off with a new show from Vince Gilligan, who is the guy behind Breaking Bad. And uh, he's got a new show coming about 70s cult leader Jim Jones. I'm sure you're you're fully aware of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, nope. you know. <laughs> uh, well, anything, if he's doing something set in the 70s, that can only be a good thing. Well, of course, yeah. It feels like, it feels like a good fit. Yeah, feels like the right thing to do. And um, it's, I mean, it sounds like a really good fit as well, because... Uh, Jim Jones is basically, you know, when the, when anybody makes the joke about somebody drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. Uh, th- yeah. that's pretty much where it comes from, because yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. Um, he was a, a cult leader in the 70s, bounced around, started off in uh, Indiana, bounced around to California, ended up in Guana, uh, Jonestown in the 70s, which is where he managed to get a group of 918 people to drink some yes. no, Kool-Aid flavoured with cyanide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's quite famous. Yeah, so it was a fairly famous event. It's going to be called Raven, the show. Uh, it's actually supposed to be not a multiple series. It will be a one-off special series uh it's based on the book raven the untold stories of jim jones and his people by tim reiterman he he was a guy who was following the cult actually at the time and actually almost uh, got himself killed because he was with a congressman who was over there investigating the cult and they attacked the airfield where they were at (laughs) and got himself shot and thankfully survived that sounds Um, really intriguing yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it sounds like a fantastic idea. It teams Vince Gilligan back up with Michelle McLaren, who exec produced episodes of Breaking Bad, and she's going to be directing the project. They're going to be exec producing alongside Octavia Spencer, who is an actress who is in The Help and Fruitvale Station, who had optioned the rights for the book, which is why she's on board. As, yeah. So you may see her in it as well, I, I would suspect. I can see why it wouldn't have a second series, though. <laughs> yes, <laughs> kind of difficult if yeah. you killed all the main cast at the end yeah. of it. But, Doesn't um, really work with a cliffhanger ending. <laughs> but yeah i i think that sounds fantastic it sounds really good particularly if you've ever seen a picture of jim jones it's it's he looks like a caricature of of a character that you i mean he's like kind of 70s dark glasses kind of slicked back hair he just it's the type of person that looks like somebody that would be a bit of a swarthy kind of cult leader you know yeah excellent so next up we have a this is the first of two greg Berlanti stories um greg Berlanti is developing a, another comic book series from dc this one is based on black lightning and but it's not for the cw it's for fox that probably means it's not going to be part of the overall Blantiverse stuff mm-hmm. black lightning is a character it's sort of a lesser known character first appeared in 1977 it's a character called jefferson pierce he was one of the first major african-american superheroes to appear in dc comics 
he's a guy that that got out of the superheroing business and then he's sort of dragged back in when his daughter kind of starts to get involved with revenges i hadn't heard of black lightning and and so is it a character that's a current character in the comic book? Yes, yeah, is. So he there is. is a current... There is a current right, Black okay. Lightning. He is still around. He was part of the new 52 reboot as well. Okay. So he is a character that is about... Um, I mean, I knew of him. don't know whether he's been part of the Justice League, but he's peripheral to This is another example groups. of me only really knowing Marvel superheroes. Isn't <laughs> yeah. <it>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing um, my best. I'm doing my best. I read as much DC as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, he's... he's um, He's a good one to pick. He's, he's basically an uh, Olympic-level athlete, skilled martial artist, and can ge- generate and manipulate electricity as well. Okay. So, hence Black Lightning. So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the interesting thing is Fox have committed to what is called a put pilot, which basically means that the pilot has to air, otherwise they have to pay a shed load of money to Greg Berlanti. So, th- it either has to air as a single one-off thing. Right. Or they will have it as the first episode of the series. Okay. So it's a solid commitment from Fox that they will run it in one way or one form or another. Otherwise, so they have to pay a load of money. So what? What? What's the? And this is like interesting for me. How many pilots get made that don't ever <clears> get aired? Then a staggeringly really? large amount. Yes. It would seem to me that you paid a bit of money for it. You've got to get something back. Well, I mean, you know, that's why you probably say half, maybe, of the shows that really? get pilots, maybe less than that. But, you know, half the shows that get pilots possibly don't get picked up. So they're just shown to select audiences and. Yeah, well, the, quite often the pilots will be made for, you know, however much money and they will be made for studio executives. Yeah. But oh, there must some, be some gold. <laughs> there must be some gold out there. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's the um, with Red Dwarf coming back. There is an American that's got online actually. There is an American pilot for right. a Red Dwarf TV series. It's awful, <laughs> <laughs> but it's floating around on YouTube if you want to look for it. Yeah. It's really bad. Wow. Um, they turn cat into a woman at one point, and I just <laughs> awful. Um, yeah, because they've never done anything stupid like that in, in oh, Red Dwarf. No, no, no. no. Uh, so yeah, they've, I mean, that will be one to watch out for. It will be interesting to see whether they do keep it as part of the whole kind of Arrow Belantiverse thing or whether it will be completely separate because it is on Fox. And although Supergirl was folded in, yeah, Supergirl was on C, was on CBS last yeah. season. I mean, it's on CW now, but, and CBS and CW are both owned by the same parent company. Right. Whereas Fox is most definitely not. No. So, I don't know. Fox have got another couple of other comic book shows. They've obviously they've got Gotham in the US, and they run Lucifer as well over there. So, which are both DC tangential kind of. Yeah. You well, know. Lucifer isn't isn't really ever gonna. It's well, it's it, DC's technically it's Vertigo, yeah. I think actually, right. which is DC. So you know, there's those. Uh, also on DC, they've announced that. Joe Magdalenio, who was in True Blood and was in Magic Mike and One Tree Hill, um, he is going to be playing Deathstroke in Ben Affleck's Batman. I'm looking forward to that. 
because the Batman Superman film, the best thing about it was Ben Affleck. I've yes. never said that yeah. by any film ever. <laughs> the oh, best thing about it was Ben Affleck. No, well, yeah, yeah usually that would be a sign of the <laughs> best thing about it was Ben Affleck. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, um, I, I, I he entirely was agree. Absolutely captivating. Yeah, no, was I think so, he was like, absolutely dark brilliant. And brooding and yeah, no, I, I really like Ben Affleck in that film. I thought it was really good. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to seeing more of that. That sounded dodgy too. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so, uh, the, yeah, they announced that uh, Joe will... Because what happened was, a few weeks ago, a video popped up online, which Ben Affleck dropped, which basically was just, obviously, a video monitor of yeah. Deathstroke. Yeah. And the internet went wild, went, oh my God, who's that, who's that? And we're going crazy about it. And um, then nothing. There was no context to it. We didn't know what movie it was in or what, or who was behind it and that sort of stuff. That's so planned. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, he dropped that. And then they left it a few weeks and then it was announced that uh, it would be him that was playing Deathstroke. So, not the first person to play Deathstroke on screen, obviously. Manu Bennett, who looks not dissim- dissimilar to Joe, actually, no. played the character on Arrow. Um, I was brilliant at it, but they've got this whole thing about keeping them separate. So, yeah. <laughs> We've already discussed that. That's yeah. not a bad idea. Well, Because yeah. often a film will ruin something. Yeah, possibly. No? I don't know. It's weird, but anyway. I, I think he'll do a great job. He's a great choice for it. So, uh, you know, I think that's fine. And I have to say, I mean, as much as I love Grant Gustin as Flash, when they showed the little clip and the movie version of Flash, I think he, he's doing a great job as well. So... Uh, Ezra Miller. Cool. I think did a great job. So, so that might be good. Uh, next up, we have a bit of casting news from a ex Game of Thrones cast member, Richard Madden, who was last known as the uh, young King of the North. King of the North. The King of the North. Say it right. King of the North. <laughs> who had uh, made very unfortunate wedding plans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The entertainment didn't go to plan, yeah, did it? Yeah. No, entertainment really not going as well as he, he would have liked. What colour should we have? Let's have red. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he's got a role in a thing called Strange. New Things, um, which is on Amazon, not wishing to get confused with Stranger Things, which is on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> um, Strange New Things is based on a 2014 sci-fi novel by Michael Faber. Uh, sees a priest played by Madden sent to a planet of uh, called Oasis as a missionary, but he ends up discovering not only what put, something that puts his faith to the test, but also life as we know it. So it's a mission to another planet. And what, what's his position again? He's a priest. Oh, he's a priest. Okay. <laughs> Why? Not a missionary. No, no. He's, he, I said missionary. I raised this as a missionary. <laughs> so, what position is he on this mission? He's a priest. Oh, Dave. <laughs> he's a mission. Well, okay. He's a missionary on a mission. <laughs> what position is it again, Dave? Priest. Oh, Dave. <laughs> Such a child. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so yeah, he gets sent off on this. It's by the uh, screenwriter of Bridges Spies, um, Matt Sharman, Kevin MacDonald, who did The Last King of Scotland and State of Plays, directing and producing, along with Andy Harris, who was responsible for Mad Dogs and Strike Back. So yeah, it's got a fairly decent team behind it. I, I, I think uh, Richard Madden's a really good actor yeah. and it's kind of an interesting sort of it's not always like having kind of space 
things. I we like don't get any pure space stuff. No, we don't. I like this sort of stuff. I do like this whole, you know, exploring a strange new planet and discovering things. And yeah. I, do, I do like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, like No Man's Sky should have been. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's not get back onto that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that sounds good. It sounds good. Maybe so, but, he discovers that life is, you know, actually just a virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop now. We're not going back there. Um, and finally in the news, we've got this one popped up today. There is a new magic drama called Deception coming from the producers of Blind Spot, of which Greg, Greg Belanti is, is one of them. That's um, magic. <laughs> <laughs> so you really, yeah you realize that large percentage of our audience will no idea how who that is well they need to find out don't they <laughs> right so yes it's it's basically a superstar magician whose career is ruined by scandal uh he only has one place to turn to practice his art of deception illusion and influence the fbi of course of course, yeah. they'll take anybody. I yeah, think, absolutely. Based upon all the television yeah. series I've seen, yeah, really they'll take, take everybody. So he becomes the world's first consulting illusionist, helping the government solve crimes that defy explanation and trap criminals and spies by using deception. It's plausible. So there you go. Yeah. Is it based on a true story? <laughs> no. <laughs> Does it have Debbie McGee in it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Again, references. <laughs> So, uh, Greg, Greg Belanti obviously is the man in, per- in, in charge of the whole Arrowverse. Uh, he's got a show called Riverdale coming, which is based on the Archie comic books. He's got the Black Lightning thing we were talking about earlier. He's also got a heist drama called Criminal coming as well, uh, and Blindspot, which is back for a new series, which he's a producer on. So, yeah, fairly busy guy. Um, yeah, his file of facts is quite thick, then, isn't yeah, it? I'm sure so it is. So doing more 80s references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry. <laughs> um, and it's been written by Chuck co-creator and current Legends of Tomorrow co-showrunner um, Chris Ferdak. Belanti is going to be one of the exec producers. Uh, Magician David Kwong is, who apparently works on, on Blindspot as a puzzle creator. Um, and he, he was also the magic consultant from the Now You See Me movies. He's also serving oh, as okay. co-creator. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed those. Yeah, I haven't seen the second one. I've only seen the first one. But uh, yeah, he's he's on those. Uh, he's on that as a, as a, and he's co-produced various things as well. So. So yeah, that looks like it could be quite good if you like your magic. <laughs> um, Not a lot. <laughs> oh, I set you up for that one. <laughs> All right, that's it for the news this week. We should move on to the interview. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This week's interview is with composer and producer Simon Fraglin. Simon is 
Probably not a name you know, but you will have seen most of his films and heard quite a lot of his music. He's got four of the top grossing films and six of the best-selling albums of all time he's been involved with. He's worked with Michael Jackson, Madonna, Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion, uh, Whitney Houston, Boyzone, Gary Barlow, and bizarrely a number of London grime bands, apparently, as well. <laughs> <laughs> that in together there. on just one album. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he worked on Spectre and Skyfall with composer Thomas Newman, uh, Howard Shaw on Seven, Craig Armstrong on Moulin Rouge. One of the people he worked worked most closely with was James Horner, who was tragically killed in the plane crash last year. Uh, he was the composer of Titanic and Avatar, which uh, Simon worked on both of those. Most recently, they collaborated on The Magnificent Seven, which is due out on the 23rd of September over here. It's a new version of The, the Magnificent Seven so film. I, we with, saw the trailer for that. Yeah. And it's it one of those good. ones I really want to like it. it yeah. It, it, but they've done a really brave thing by remaking a really great movie. Yeah. Well, it, they, they're doing it. It's not a direct remake. It's more they a still re- called it the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. They've they're, I, want, they're I want to like to it. it. It looks good. It's, it's Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. Um so yeah, it looks good. He was collaborating with James on that. Uh, when James was killed and they basically asked him to carry on as the main composer on it after James died. He works with a lot of synths and digitized instruments. This is the first of co-composing credit that he's had on a major motion picture. This is the interview with him. We talked to him a lot about working with James and working on Magnificent Seven and also Titanic. And he is partly responsible for My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> um, so uh, the the silly DR track. So we we talk a bit about that as well. I managed to wipe that from my memory. Now it's going to be, I'm going to be humming it in bed tonight. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, the, the interview is about 25 minutes. We'll talk to you afterwards with some air dates. Hi, is that Simon? Hello, Dave. How are you doing? You're you're uh, in LA, aren't you? Yes, at the moment. Yes, uh, it's. Uh, I sort of go back and forth between the two. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. How about we start with a little bit of background? Because you're in LA, obviously not an LA native. Um, so, so do you want to just uh, tell tell me a bit about uh, how you kind of ended up there and how you got started in the industry i sort of i was one of the lucky ones i knew when i was 13 exactly what i wanted to do i I remember writing a letter to the bbc asking them how i end up here um (laughs) so it was pretty easy uh for me and um well you know my my initial goal was to be a record producer um and so i did everything from 13 onwards to to get there i was sort of starting to mix live sound very early on and then recording things, sitting in a home, you know, in my bedroom, just uh, uh, trying to create uh, stuff. Um, I remember using a Casio FX 502P calculator, which had used to uh, store stuff onto uh, tape cartridges where you could uh, program um, sort oh. of equations and store them. Uh, yeah. Now, the, the joy of this was that you could actually make it make blips and bleeps, and I, I would start trying to sequence on that. So I, that was the very <laughs> first sequence I ever used was, was a calculator. Um, wow. So uh, at that point, I, I then went to Manchester for university, which happened to be 
had a, a very, very good time. The Hacienda was opening. Ah, I remember yes. seeing Madonna, Madonna's first uh, European performance and with her and a couple of dancers on the side stage of the Hacienda. Wow. And um, I spent the vast majority of my time going and seeing bands and doing music and stuff like that and avoiding anything to do with university. And at the very first opportunity, when there was a chance to, to join a recording studio, I jumped. <laughs> and this was just when we had the, the beginning of sequences and digital samplers. They were just, we're transitioning from tape. Uh, but tape was still the sort of thing for recording, but the very first digital uh, ways of creating music were appearing. And I don't think at all when I'm using computers. It's uh, sort of like playing the piano. It's natural. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't have to, to uh, in any way uh, wonder what I'm doing. It just, for, for me, it's just as easy as breathing. Right. And what happened was that... Uh, the studio I was at got a, a small sequencer called the PPG Wave um, and Waveterm, which was one of the early machines. Somebody watched me programming and recommended me to a record producer called Trevor Horn, who was a, a yes. big name at the time. Yeah. Um, and I got hired by Trevor to, uh, to program his Synclavia, which was the Rolls Royce of sequencers and samplers. Yeah. Uh, this thing costs uh, the, the same as a house. It probably, you know, we were talking about in the late 80s, we we're talking about a box that would cost between two hundred and three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, wow. <laughs> yes. So I then I then was working for Trevor, you know, doing so yes and Frankie and, and other stuff, you know. And after a while, you know, you you, you spend time there and then I left. It was probably the right thing to do for me to move and go out on my own and go freelance. And I started producing uh, sort of independent records and, and also doing commercials. Yeah. Um, and some TV work and things like that. And then uh, there was a song that I had had a, I had a hit in America, and there was a uh, an American record producer watched me working and said, "You don't use computers the way that anybody else I've seen does," and so. He tried to, he said he should come to LA, come to LA. And I went, I thought about it. And at the time in Britain, it was uh, the times of Stock Aiken and Waterman. And <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't a great fan of the music. And yeah, so I was going to say, that's, I, that's a good enough reason as any to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I jumped to uh, Los Angeles and suddenly realized there was a whole different way of approaching music. And, and I went back to my day job of programming and uh, I found a little niche, which was somewhere between uh, the two camps that existed at the time. There were either the pure keyboard players, the great sort of concert pianist level uh, session players, or there were techno nerds who were sort of engineers who knew how to operate computers. Yeah. And I, I found a little niche in between, which is I had enough of musical ability to be sort of uh, dangerous and I had enough technical ability that I could translate my ideas and those of other people into complete tracks. And I initially started working with a guy called David Foster, who was an American record producer. And we hit it off. We just, we got on very well. And we also balanced each other. I think uh, he was known for these extremely uh, sort of smooth tracks. And I probably gave him a little bit of uh, English edge. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I, I was one of those sad middle-class punks when, when Euros from <laughs> the Dam came out. Uh, I would pretend to be hard along with the people who really were. Yeah. And uh, so I, I came out not particularly liking those sort of big, smooth tracks. But working with David was a huge education. And from that, it evolved into, you know, doing any number of uh, records and, and gradually evolving into films. So there was the sort of usual cast of characters, so sort of Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and Celine, um, for whom I did any number of tracks, and Tony Braxton, Quincy Jones. Uh, and it was... That that was just you know it was every day was a new experience and it was yeah. uh, immensely fun. I mean the, the list of artists you've worked with and the films you've worked on as well is, is ridiculous. As I say, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion. You were responsible uh, for "My Heart Will Go On," which is probably the best known Celine Dion track on the planet. Um, English artists like Gary Barlow, Boyzone. You you did the um, some work with One Direction as well, I believe. Well, I did the uh, I love that film. This is us yes yeah i've done grime i've done an awful lot of variety you know i've done south london grime rap (laughs) i've had several hits with south london grime but then i've also done sort of uh opera and anything in between i i don't i don't see that you have to be put into one box no no well very clear from the the type of artist you've you'd be working with that that's the case um movie wise um skyfall spectre amazing spider-man bodyguard seven titanic avatar of course as well so how did you come to work with james horner they i'd been doing a lot of other films in la and i at the time was one of the guys who knew how to create an orchestra in a box which which in the sort of mid to late 90s was the holy grail in terms yeah. of mocking things up and so on. It was also very complicated and rather expensive to do. And there was a problem with this film called Titanic, which is that they had no music budget. There was just no money. Really? Um, yeah, I know it's, it, it sounds ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, but you had a situation where this was the film that was going to bring down Fox and Paramount. It was <laughs> going to be the world's biggest disaster. And they were trying to save their money wherever possible. So there was not very much money for the, for, for the score. And I was begging, borrowing, uh, literally uh, from manufacturers, anything to try and cobble together stuff to, to do the, re- the recording of the synths. And what happened was that James called me and asked me to work with him on, on that because they, they, uh, his agents had uh, also handled Alan Silvestri and they'd noticed uh, some work that I'd done with Alan and also Howard Shaw. They'd seen stuff I'd done, like Tuesday with Seven and a number of other films with Howard. Yeah. Um, and so they said, would you come in and, and help? Uh, and I met James and the, the job was to sort of somehow get uh, an orchestral sounding score with no money. <laughs> and so I and uh, his longtime synthesizer player, Ian Underwood, would sit there with James and we would try and create everything that wasn't orchestra or in a lot of times was everything that was orchestra. Yeah. Uh, I had to record everything down as well because there wasn't money for an engineer. So that we had, um, uh, you know, we were in a small studio out in the west uh, side of uh, the Los Angeles Valley, crammed into this room with stacks of, of equipment that I'd borrowed from, literally from manufacturers, and two tons of my synths, two tons of Ian Underwood synths, um, <laughs> and 
James and Jim Cameron uh, trying to put together this score. And um, James, you know, had a very, very clear vision on on how Titanic would go. But we had to obviously also deal with the fact that the film, when we first saw it, was five and a quarter hours long. And over time, uh, James, you know, uh, Cameron would uh, had to bring it down to the three hours that it was at the end. Yeah. And that meant obviously a lot of stuff had to be discarded. Often he'd come in saying, well, you know, we'd play him something and say, well, you guys... Sorry, but that scene's gone. I just cut it. It's on the floor. Oh, no. Um, and that, I mean, that's a regular occurrence as part yeah. of films. But it was, <laughs> then, then it was less so because uh, we didn't have the same level of nonlinear editing that we do now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, we uh, worked through, you know, for several months. And at some point in that, James handed me this piano sketch. So I've got this, this song. Do you think Celine would like it? Um, <laughs> And because I worked with Celine many, many times, uh, I then mocked it up. I created a, a, a demo track for her to hear. Yeah. And Jim Cameron knew nothing of this at the time. <laughs> uh, so, so James, uh, so we, we created this track. And once it got to a certain point, Celine sang on it. And I, I did a mix. And right towards the end, James chose his moment incredibly well. And he found a point when he could play it to Jim. And uh, of course, at that point, you know, the ship sank and we were all, you know, it all went very well. We know the story from then on. Yeah. So, so yes, love or hate that track, you're entirely responsible is what you're saying. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. No, I I am, I am, I can say that the, the track that you hear on the film, every note except for some strings at the very end I played. Ah. So that when you, there are real strings for the last chorus, everything else is fake. <laughs> wow. Um, and that's true of actually throughout the film score. You've got really famous cues like uh, Take It to See Mr. Murdoch, which is when the ship first leaves Southampton. Yeah. Where I had to go back and look at this again because last year we did a, a live performance at the Albert Hall of this. <laughs> and we had to convert it for, for real orchestra because. We realized once we looked back at the master tapes that huge chunks that I just presumed were orchestral weren't, like that cue, um, the taker to see Mr. Murdoch cue. Yeah. The first four, four minutes are just synths. And it has this, uh, there's a there's a choir sound that, that people know, which goes, dum, bum, ba, da, dum, bum, ba, da, dum, ba. Yes, and yeah, yeah. That out of out, out of six or seven different synthesizers to get that texture. And it became <laughs> one of the sort of more iconic textures in the film yeah. but it was there just to try and mimic a real choir we just didn't we thought at some point we might be able to replace it with a choir but there was never any money so it stayed <laughs> that's um, crazy yes yes it was uh, it was a surreal score but yeah. um it was a, a joy to do yeah i mean it's a it's an amazing score the the score for titanic i do like it. i that that sort of brings us on working with uh, James Horner to Magnificent Seven, which is your uh, most one of your most recent projects. Has James started working on this? Were you involved? Because obviously we tragically lost him last year. Were you involved when he first started working on it, or were you brought on afterwards to to sort of pick it up? No, I, I over off from Avatar onwards, I he and I became very close. We were working very closely together, and over right. the past five or six years I've been acting as score producer and uh, ranger so that I've been overseeing the scores 
So this was something that I and uh, Simon Rhodes, who's another very close co collaborator of his, we were working with him in London on these themes. There was there was a, a time reason, a time crunch reason for this to happen when it did. Um, yeah. We had a series of projects, one after another, that were going to stack up. And uh, the concern was that if we didn't get some things going early on, there was going to be, we were going to run out of time because James was committed to doing not only Magnificent Seven, but the Matt Damon film, Great Wall. And then also we, the uh, next Mel Gibson film, I'm not sure of the title of that was coming out. Right. And then there were other projects coming up, as you know, he'd already signed to do Avatars 2 and 3 and 4. Yeah. So there was a concern about time. There's also, you know, there were some other projects and... It was, um, he happened to be in London because he was working on his horn concerto. So we met and he, for about a week, he, he put down some themes. He was just trying to get some themes going. Yeah. And so uh, Simon Rhodes and I were working with him, just trying to get those refined so that we could play them to Antoine Fuqua, the uh, director of Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And that would be somewhere in early to middle of June. And he also had to record his horn concerto. And that was the, uh, the other reason for being in London. Um, yeah. He then flew back to Los Angeles. Uh, and over the following week, I, I spoke to him many times, in, uh, including the, you know, the day before he died. And um, he, uh, you know, he was in a great place. And, yeah. and we, you know, very happy with where things are going. And then after his death, uh, I came out to Los Angeles and, and I was talking with the uh, with the team because we had a very, very close family of people who worked together. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this and we discussed the fact that I said to everybody that I thought it was it would be a tragedy not to be able to play these themes to Antoine. And yeah. we all agreed. And so, so Simon Rhodes and I put together a suite of music that um so we we arranged this as a suite and then hired an orchestra and got the orchestra to play the suite and, and then i flew to louisiana and said to antoine you know so i have a gift this is the score that james would uh, have liked to have given you yeah. and gave him a, a a suite of themes uh in an orchestral setting so he could understand how the score would have sounded and um I think it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was an emotional moment for us all. And uh, Antoine turned to me and just said, uh, I'd like you to finish this. And I think that was a, an extremely gutsy call. Yeah. Uh, you can imagine it's a hundred million dollar film. And uh, that, that takes that really, uh, I, I take my hat off to him for that. And uh, after meeting with MGM, they agreed as well, which again is, it was something that, uh, uh, took took um, was was pretty brave of them, and yeah. then over the following nine months, um, the score evolved uh, with, of course, the, the film as it was going through uh, final post production and uh, and being finished. I mean, it must be quite difficult working on on you know something like this, uh, you know, particularly with what happened with with James and uh, and but but the the fact that the studio and the director have the confidence in you that to do it, it must be an odd feeling. Yes. I think, I think it was, it, it, it was less odd in the fact that I'd been 
producing scores uh, over several years, so I've been used to the whole mechanics of how to actually deliver a film score. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't ever just arranging music or anything else. The actual practicality of what you have to do to make a film score arrive and finish it, and the politics of it, which of course are an immense part of any of these projects, yeah. uh, was part of the natural day-to-day -day, uh, work that I did. Um, and the music... The music has to evolve with the film. Uh, I think none of us wanted uh, a mausoleum. Uh, yeah, what we yeah. wanted was uh, ultimately to give Antoine a score that reflected his film. And the score would naturally evolve with the film as the edit does. You know, you, the... Of course, yeah, yeah. When you, see a, when you see a film at the beginning of the editing process and where it ends up at the end, are often very two very different things. Yeah, uh, yeah. and fr from the script that James had initially worked, on, you know, there was quite an evolution to where we end up uh, with the final print that you'll see in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating sort of story, given you know everything that that happened. Um, was this your first time tackling a western? Because <laughs> that's that's I a think it was James. We we looked back. I think we think that he may have had a score for Young Guns Two rejected, but it was. <laughs> but that's it. We can't. Well, I don't think we can think of any other western that he ever did. Yes, um, I can. I have a tentative. I can say that I worked at the end of a western, which was with John Barry on Dancing with Wolves. Oh right, okay, um, yeah. But but that's not that's that's uh, an epic in a in a different way. That's not. Gunfights uh, at the OK Corral yeah, or Stagecoach yeah, yeah. or um, Three Center Humor. This is this is a that's a very different sort of film to a, a classic western. So that was part of the joy. It's it really is a western. It really has cowboys with uh, with Stetsons and six guns and horses and um, yeah. uh, every day when I went into the studio, it was a joy to work on. I mean, obviously this is a um, an updated version of, a, of an older film. Did you ever go back and look at the original Alma Bernstein score from the original? I, I, I have that. I think like anybody uh, of my age, we have that in our DNA. Yeah. Um, there is a, and I know every frame of that from every Saturday afternoon that we said we would watch it. Uh, <laughs> And yes, I, I went back to look actually more uh, specifically at the Seven Samurai, which I had seen years ago, um, right. because Antoine well, Antoine wanted to reference that in some ways, considering more than he did uh, want to reference uh, the original Sturge's Magnificent Seven. Yeah, um, and you can you can sort of see that in the film, and even in the, the names of some of the characters and the way that the action is put together. This is not a remake of the Sturgis Magnificent Seven. It really is an alternative cowboy version of the Seven Samurai, if I could put it that way. If there is right, any okay. link, although it references some of the lines and some of the, the it, you know, he has nodded his, you know, uh, nodded his hat at the original, uh, at both yeah. the, uh, the uh, Yulbrenner and uh, uh, the Kurosawa, but it is a film in its own right that exists and has a right to exist, has a very different story, has very different characters. Um, yeah. And that required a different score. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I think it's it's very difficult to, to take music that was written back then and just crowbar it in a modern film because they just don't work generally. 
Unless you're Quentin Tarantino, possibly, <laughs> but you know. Yes, absolutely. And I, th- I think that was part of the problem because we, we actually, we wanted to make sure that we referenced Elmo. And I think that was something that Jameson and I and Simon had talked out uh, at length that, that how do you provide uh, some sort of reference point? Because you need to keep that. There, There is a, in the way that you still have the title, the title of the film is The Magnificent Seven. In the way that you have seven you know, gunslingers going in to save a town. Yeah. Um, there is an expectation. And so we wanted to find a way that I think, I think that we found a way of uh, keeping that style of a great classic Western in there, but give, make it, giving it a contemporary feel. Um, there's some techniques that, that in the way that we've uh, put the score together that I think really does that. And also, yes, there is, uh, we have made sure that Elmer does appear in the film. I think it would have been, uh, it, it was a necessary thing to do. It, it, we tried, it's interesting, trying to find a place, a home for but Elmer was uh, one of the toughest decisions because when you put it against the film, you realize that it is of, it is of its own age. But yeah. it is very much uh, something that you, you sort of, you look at in the same way that Star Trek, if you take the Alexander Courage um, theme for yes. Star Trek, how do you yeah. place that into a contemporary Star Trek? And it's always difficult. Those sorts of things are very, they have a different feel to, to music today. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it, it is um, that that's almost an art in itself. Learning where to 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 be able to mix those sort of older sounds in. So you know, I, I think um, I and I'm I'm glad you've managed to reference it somewhere. That's that's good news. We're coming up on nearly half an hour, so I I shall uh, let you go in a moment. Just a couple of last questions. There's two questions that we always ask people. One is, are there any TV shows you're watching at the moment that you uh, really love? Well, the obvious one is The Night Off, of course. Now, that's interesting because it's not started airing over here yet. Uh, that I think it starts in a few weeks. So I am lo- really looking forward to watching that. That sounds really good. Oh, it um, is. It's worth the wait. Good, good. Right. That's definitely a recommendation. I shall I shall be watching that. Um, and the other one is, I, I, mean, I know you're mainly a film composer but if you had the opportunity to pick any tv show either past present or future to work on what comes to mind oh now that's that's really tough um past present or future and you're not including blake seven no they uh, uh, <laughs> you can have blake seven if you want <laughs> no i don't i don't I definitely don't want that um i i uh, I think I'd go, if I'd ever had a chance, I would have loved to have written to the original Star Trek. Um, one of the, the music editors I work with is Jim Henriksen. Right. He was on the original Star Trek. Wow. And um, that sounds like at the time that they were doing it, that was breaking new ground. And I yeah. think the thing that I, I, I love being out on the, the bleeding edge, I like trying to find places where people are trying to do things that, that are going to be uh, something that's special for the future. You know, I'm working on a lot of immersive stuff at the moment and, and where we go with sound and, and music is, is going to be really exciting in the, uh, in the forthcoming years. Uh, there's some projects I've got coming up that really, I think challenge a lot of the ways that we think about music. And I think the Star Trek, the original TV series when it came out 
was probably doing that in its own way. Well, that's a great choice. I, I, I think that would be really good. Maybe you can, maybe you can edge on. There is a new Star Trek TV show coming. Maybe you can edge your way onto that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank, thanks for coming on, Simon. It's been lovely to talk to you. Um, I'm uh, good luck with the the movie, and uh, you know, maybe we can get you that Star Trek TV show. So, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I, I'll, I'll obviously the the check will be in the post if you do. <laughs> All right, lovely to talk to you, Simon. Thanks. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. So, air dates this week. We first up, we have some cancellations. <laughs> can you pick where the music's from yeah um it's green it's the hulk yes from the 80s yeah. yes oh, of course it is um so yes um cancellations this week we have um mistresses has been cancelled after four seasons um tyrant which I think ran on Fox over here. That's been cancelled after three seasons. And just before we came on air to do this, uh, Bloodline, the Netflix show, has been cancelled as well. And I believe Bloodline is possibly the first original Netflix original show that's been cancelled. I, I could be wrong about that, but I don't know of any others. Surely not. You'd think, but That's I can't been going think a while of it. Now, so they kind of just renewed everything. That was, they did. Oh, fair last enough. time. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, they've it's run two seasons. They've got a third season to come, which was going to be thirteen episodes. They've now said it's going to be ten, and that'll be it. Right, they're okay. not doing a full season. So um, renewals. Renewals, we've got Narcos, as we said earlier, it's got renewed for two more seasons, Excellent. which is great. Last Ship got two more, well, already had one more season. They then renewed it for another season. They'd renewed it for one 13-episode season. They've now renewed it for two 10-episode seasons. Okay. So they renewed it changed the, and then changed their mind and said, what we're going to do is take, take the budget from that, stick a bit more on, shoot 20 episodes in one go. Two for the price of one, and then and then chop it in half and, Buy one, and get have one free. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so that that's the plan. Is they basically decided that they were going to um, squash them together and then chop it in half, make twenty episodes, and make two seasons out of it. So that's a good thing, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yes, because uh, despite it being a Michael Bay thing, it's actually quite watchable. Yeah. That show, and it keeps Adam Baldwin in work, and he's a Firefly kind of person. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always happy about that. Uh, changes. We've got a show called Paranoid starting uh, on ITV on 22nd of September at 9pm. It's got uh, Indra Var- Varma and Robert Glenister in a twisty murder mystery thing. <laughs> Season two of Hunted comes on the 22nd at 9pm as well. That's, I don't think you saw any of this. The, I've seen it. Yeah. I think I could do that. I could do it. I I, I would reckon I, I'd be okay at it. I I'd, could. Be, I'd be fantastic at it. 
we just hide out in the, the Geek Town bunker under the house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> just, be, just be like normal life. Yeah, exactly. As <laughs> long as we've got Netflix, we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically a group of people that are trying to stay undetected uh, from modern surveillance and living off the grid while a bunch of people who were sort of ex-FBI and that sort of stuff go chasing after them. Um, Dramatically as well. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's good. Rush Hour Season 1B, so the second half of Rush Hour has now got an air date on E4. That's coming on the 23rd of September at 9pm. The Fall, it was announced today, has a third season of that has now got an air date, which is 29th of September at 9pm. Star Wars Rebels, which is a fantastic... I can't wait for this. Great show. Um, for considering it's a children's series, yeah, really. It's, but it, they do such that a good job. last episode, the last sort of you know, king size episode yeah. with Vader in it. and Yeah, Vader it, blinding the, yeah. one of the lead characters. And, and I mean, and it's, it's a, quite a dark. And, and I, I was, it was, I was emotional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it with the kids and I was emotional. It was like, and the new season introduce, reintroduces Thrawn from the expanded universe into the, New Disney-fied universe. And therefore into canon. Into canon, yes. So Star Wars Rebels returns, and that's on the 1st of October. That is, I think we had it a different date originally, but 1st of October now. Disney are doing it so well. They are. You won't see me say that about Disney, but they've done Star Wars so well. They have. They've done a brilliant job. Gangland uncovered a second season of that comes to the History Channel, which is a drama based on the former government informant Charles Falco's account of events that took place between 2003 and 2006, where he infiltrated one of America's most notorious biker gangs. So that's coming on the 11th of October at 10pm, that's back. And The Exorcist, the first season of that, starts on the Sci-Fi Channel on the 19th of October at 9pm. How can it be a series? It's, Is it a different one every week? I don't um, understand. It's, it's set, I'm not sure how they're going to run it, but it is different people set, I think, 40 years after the original. Right. So, so same premise in that it's two priests and there is an exorcism involved. But I think it revolves around... How do you spread that over a series? I'm not sure. I don't know whether it is going... I mean, at the moment, it's evolving around one family, I think, but I don't know. So have to watch and find out. Next week on TV, we've got Bitten, second season of that coming to sci-fi stars Laura Vandervoort as the um, only female werewolf in the pack. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, that starts on the 15th of September at 9pm. Uh, we've got Hooten and the Lady, which is this new kind of Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider-y type thing that's coming, starring Michael Landis and Ophelia Lovebond. That's about a, a historical expert who travels the globe looking for hidden treasures, basically. Is one of them British and one of them American? Yes, they are. <laughs> what was that series in the 80s? Um, Golden Monkey. Tales of the Golden Monkey. Tales of I the wasn't Golden thinking Mon- of that, but that is an excellent series. Yes. Uh, I enjoy that. It's, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit Indiana Jones, it's a bit Romancing the Stone, it's yeah. a bit sort of it's that sort of thing. So yes, there's that it does look, look like it could be quite good fun. Yeah. So and there's a lot of money being poured into it. I think so. Uh, American Horror Story season six, which we believe the subtitle might be missed, but we could be entirely wrong about that. Starts on Fox on 16th of September at 10 p.m. Aquarius season two coming to Sky Atlantic on the 16th of September at 9 p.m. 
South Park season 20, which apparently opens with some sort of rewritten version of the national, the, the US national anthem, I believe. Uh, it starts on the 16th. jumping the shark now? Is yeah, that... I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen watched South Park it. since about season six. No, I haven't watched it for a very long time. Uh, 16th September at 10 p.m. that starts. Private Eyes, which is the Canadian procedural dramedy series about an ex-hockey pro player that turns into a private investigator, stars Jason Priestley. 19th of September at 8pm. Um, so all, all, all PI, all private investigator series, for me, have to measure up against Magnum. <laughs> yes. I don't, just reading it, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. Has he got a moustache? Yeah. Moustache and a weird-looking tiny helicopter. That's yeah. what you yeah. Yes. And, uh, and a big red sports Ferrari. car. It's a Ferrari. Ferrari wasn't it? 308, yeah. I think yeah. it is. Nice. There you go. Yeah. So uh, Emmy Awards, if you want to catch the um, footage from the main primetime Emmy Awards ceremony, it's usually on Sky Living, but it's not this year. It's on 5 USA, and that's going to be at 10 p.m. on the 19th, which is the day after the awards go out in the U.S., and uh, Lucifer Season 2 comes to Amazon Prime Instant Video on the 20th of September. Yes. So look forward to that coming back. And, more maze. Yeah, more maze. <laughs> <laughs> so that's everything for this week, unless you've got anything else you'd like to add. but uh, not, not at this point, Dave. Good. Um, so if you want to see more information, come visit the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see the latest air date info. If you want to get in touch, you can email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk or leave a message on the website. You can find us at Geektown on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Geektown, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geektown, and on Instagram at Geektown UK. And if you follow us on iTunes, don't forget to leave us a nice comment and uh, rate us because that helps as well we'll see you next week bye 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 Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.